Hello, this is Paul Harvey from Life, Passion and Business. I am full on on a project at the moment for the next couple of weeks, so not that much of time for editing. In this week's podcast reprise, I want to bring us back to Michael Harvey, no relation, story, myth and magic. He's a professional storyteller. On the podcast, I always say that story is fundamental to the success of our lives, where Michael embodies the telling of story. However, before I take you there, I would like to remind you of the importance of getting things done. I am very aware that we're close to the end of February, the year is ticking on, and for many people there are goals to be achieved, and they're wondering how that will be possible, given they're already two months gone and nothing has moved. If that's you, have a listen to this. We all want to find some measure of success in the world. The point is, however you look at this, we want to get things done. You might want to get a project over the line. You might have a really big goal that you're looking to to move, to move forward on. And the problem is, whenever we start these projects, whenever we do anything like this, there's always some resistance. There's always something that gets in the way. And that can be a multitude of things. Um, But the key to this is how do we retain focus and stay with the project and push it over the line? And that's where focus coaching can help. And it's a really simple process where we, we define what it is you're trying to achieve and we look at the resistance that you're experiencing in that achievement, come up with some strategies to solve that resistance, commit to setting a date and I hold your feet to the fire to make sure that you do that. So there's a commitment, there's an accountability process and that's it. That's basically how it works. You get it done. And I can tell you it is so powerful when you start working in this way, particularly when you work with someone who supports you in the process of doing it. And one thing to remember, you know, success is never guaranteed, but the struggle always is. And that's what this coaching is designed to do. It's designed to get you through the struggle towards the success you're looking for. The process starts with a free conversation and the links to Focus Coaching can be found in the show notes. Right, let's get you to the podcast with Michael Harvey. And looking out through the glass doors and seeing people I knew walking down towards the place where the interviews were going to be in their little suits. And I had this image of myself buttoning the suit up and then there was a kind of flash and I was being buried in it Mm. and I knew if I went to one of those interviews I'd get the job and that would be the end of my life basically. My name is Paul Harvey and this is Life, Passion and Business. We're about helping you explore, finding your passion for life and the work that you do. But it's so much more than that. It's about finding clues to the big life questions. What does it mean to be successful? What is the meaning of life? If you're looking for more, then join me on this journey, where together we will discover through interviews, tools and tips, how to live life full of meaning, passion and purpose. Over the last few weeks, I have been talking extensively on the Sunday Shortcast about stories and the importance of having a narrative for the life we want to live. I believe that story is a fundamental part of who we are. 
Our story gives life its meaning. But there's more to this. Through sharing of stories, we find resonance with others, we build community bonds and stronger friendships. However, the digital world has commoditized story, and we're now surrounded by stories for music, film and social media, and to some extent, humans have lost the art of the shared narrative. If there's one thing that all the top entrepreneurs have in common, it is the ability to bring people together under a shared narrative, a story of how life could be better if... Well, all of that in mind, I am excited to bring you today's guest, Michael Harvey. No relation. He's the professional talk. Well, all of that in mind, I am excited to bring you today's guest, Michael Harvey. And he's no relation, but he is a professional storyteller. And as you will hear, his vocation found him. In this show, you will discover the difference between performance and storytelling and how a story told well creates the illusion of time stopping. Our conversation about his life, the path and his journey through myth and magic. We touch on the archetypes at the hero's journey and Michael will introduce us to the Mabinogion, a Welsh tale of lust and war from the Middle Ages. Michael was brought up in Glasgow and had the childhood desire to become a policeman. But by the time he reached the age for university, he did not know what he wanted to do. Now, there was a time in the UK when getting to university was hard. But if you could make the cut, the cost of tuition and living was free. In his words, he was paid to go to Nottingham University with a grant, and it was an easy thing to do. By the second year, his fellow students looked at companies they might want to work for and went to interviews as part of what was called the Milk Round. But as you heard in the snippet, he knew that was not for him. After university, he drifted around for a few years and then finding himself at the first Beyond the Borders Storytelling Festival, he witnessed a fantastic story and was smitten. You know, he says, when your voc- as he says, when your vocation comes and gets you, it makes other decisions very simple. He got out into the world and made a name for himself, bring- bringing stories to schools and art centres. He built a company and toured a show for eight years. He has travelled all over the world telling stories and teaching the skills of storytelling ever since. And at the time of our conversation, Covid had clipped his wings. However, he went online and is currently teaching presentation skills to senior executives from a storytelling perspective. Let's join the conversation with Michael Harvey. Michael, welcome to the programme. Thank you, Paul. It's really exciting to be here. And um, yeah, I think... It's, a, it's maybe a gathering of the Harvey clans. Who knows? Maybe we're related. Who some knows? Well, I doubt it. No, I don't think so, because my grandfather changed his name to, to avoid debt. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, he, he, he changed his name and left town and they moved from, from, I think they moved from Leeds to London to avoid debt. There you go. A bit of really, you know, bit of story. That's a great story. That's a fantastic. Story coming out, and this this is the reason it's quite interesting is because because Michael is a storyteller, so I'm so looking forward to him to exploring this a bit. Look, Michael, you know, this is life, passion, and business, and we're about the journey. We're about the life journey that we all go on, mm. and and the fact that it's not often a straight line. It, it, it does go into 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 curves and twists, and there's always a story to be told. And as you're a storyteller, I'm sure you're going to be embroidering it beautifully for us. So, so tell me, what was the story for you? Where did it all start? What did, what did you plan to be when you got big? Well, I drifted. I was a terrible drifter for years and years. I mean, there was a point I remember being in the car with my mother 
and I wanted to be a policeman. And we're going back now to the 60s. Mm-hmm. So there was a policeman on points duty. And up until the moment that I saw that policeman, I wanted to be a policeman because he was on points duty, being bloody rude to people, <sighs> being really unpleasant to people and who just wanted to get across the crossroads, you know? So from that day on, I didn't want to be a policeman anymore. And I had completely run out of ideas. Mm-hmm. And I did kind of drift and... Um, did you, I mean, did you, where, whereabouts in the world were you when you, when you were growing Glasgow. up? Glasgow. You grew up in Glasgow. Oh, okay, right, okay. So, yeah. So that, that's quite, that's, that's, you don't have the accent, I have to say. <laughs> Strangely, there are a few words that I, I can't pronounce in the proper English way. So there's, a, there's a, a long story I used to tell with a musician and a singer. And it's an old Welsh story called Cilwch and Olwen. And there's a point where the hero, Cilwch, rides on this beautiful pale-faced stallion and he's got all his accoutrements, swords and everything else. And running between the horse's hooves are two greyhounds, dogs. Now I have to really concentrate to say that word, dogs, because when I'm normally doing the show, what I say is dogs. Very, and very glad to The singer who I was working with, this is after about five years of touring the show, she said, Michael, what are dogs? <laughs> the dogs that run between the horse's hooves. Oh, dogs. <laughs> so it do, it's kind of lurking in the background. I don't know why I don't have a more of a Glaswegian accent, but there we are. Obviously, you you obviously left the left the town and and and, and explored other other ways of speaking. So so obviously you're in Glasgow, and and obviously that has you know that there are there are nice bits and not some, what, mm. they're all nice bits, but there are difficult bits and there are very very <laughs> affluent bits of Glasgow. Whereabouts for you? <laughs> oh no i was in the posh bit i was in pollock shields uh, well right. dumbreck pollock shields is next door yeah and I, I mean i have a few formative memories one is of seeing the orange march go past our house right and it was like it was scary it was an energy which in some way was was astonishing and amazing but you i just did have the feeling that it wasn't really going anywhere good mm. And the bands and the chucking up the huge mace in the air and catching it and these guys in bowler hats and their orange sashes. Uh, it was powerful and weird mm. and dangerous mm-hmm. to this little, well, it wasn't quite the suburbs, but this nice little bit of Glasgow sitting in a, in the tree in the garden watching this madness. For the benefit of my American body. listeners, what is the Orange March? They have, they have them in Ireland, Northern Ireland as well, don't they? Well, yeah. Um, in a way, Glasgow is in some sense a microcosm of Northern Ireland mm-hmm. because Scotland had a proper ref- reformation. Instead, unlike the English, who had this kind of, well, what are we? They had a proper Calvinistic reformation. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, um, in the one, well, sorry, later on in the 19th century, lots of Irish people came over to Glasgow uh, to get to America. Now, I know that's the wrong direction, mm-hmm. but Glasgow is the nearest big port if you're in in, in Ireland, or one of the big ports, Liverpool yeah. and, um, and Glasgow, the big ones, which is why Liverpool and Glasgow both have big Irish Catholic populations. So all these, these Irish Catholics came over, settled in Glasgow, waited to get their, their money to go to, um, to, to the States, and loads of them never did. Mm-hmm. So you've got this very Protestant and very Catholic, two communities, cheek by jowl in the city, and there's a lot of tension. Um, and okay, can I just tell you one little story about my father's experience with this? He was a civil engineer and mm-hmm. he, he got the gig of building 
the Rangers Social Club. So um, you've got two football clubs, Rangers, who are the Protestant team, and Celtic, who are the Catholic team. So he, he builds this place, his firm builds the place, and then he goes to, to do the, hand, the, the sign over, and he arrives and it's all looking very nice, and he's showing the guy around, he's saying, you know, bucket carpets, and you know, here's the bar, and this is the function room, blah, blah, blah. And then the guy he's with points up to the wall above the door, there's a sign, and he says, we can't have that. And my father says, well, why not? It's the wrong color. And then my father explains patiently, well, you see, it's, it's a fire exit sign and it has to be green. <clears throat> and he says, there's nothing green in this place. So yeah. it's the only building in the world, as far as I know, that has orange exit lights, orange being the Protestant colour, green being the Catholic colour. There you go. Luckily, things have improved since then. I, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Were you brought up in that kind of culture, that, that, that society? Or was that, was that a... No, 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 I was very much to one side. Yeah. So my parents weren't church going um, and I went to a school just in the suburbs. So I wasn't part of the, I was an observer of that mayhem and danger mm. and power, but I was never actually part of it. So what did you, I mean, obviously you dropped the idea of being a police officer and you, and you didn't know what you were going to do. Did you end up university? I did. I went to Nottingham university and I drifted into it. Wow. Uh, at the time you could do that. I mean, I think, for if there are people here under 30 listening, they will be amazed to learn that people my age were paid to go to university. We got a grant. We got money to live on. We got money to pay the bills with. And I know people who saved money when they were at university. So it was an easy thing to do. So mm. I drifted into it and I didn't really... I enjoyed my time and I learned a few things, but really it wasn't a great use of my time. I should have gone and done something else. But this very interesting thing did happen to me once, which is when I was in my second year, everyone else was getting ready, my age was getting ready to do the milk round jobs. So that's all the, the big firms, um, British home stores, if, if you remember. Yeah, that's them. right. So, that, so now that's going to have to be explained because I don't think anyone other than our age <laughs> would remember the milk ground situation. So this was where all the large companies visited the big universities yeah. and they, they basically did a jobs fair at the university to suck mm. up the best and the brightest of the graduates that were popping out of university. That was what it was, wasn't it, really? I said, you're bang on. Absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. So I saw lots of my friends in their little suits going off for interviews. And I, I have a very clear image of myself standing in the university library at Nottingham University and looking out through the glass doors and seeing people I knew walking down towards the place where the interviews were going to be in their little suits. And I had this image of myself buttoning the suit up. And then there was a kind of flash and I was being buried in it. And mm. I knew if I went to one of those interviews, I'd get the job with British Home Stores or United Biscuits or Metal Box, one of those firms. And that would be the end of my life. Basically, I would lose my way. Mm -hmm. So I, I <laughs> that's when I started to consciously drift. I said, I don't know what I want, but I don't want that. And then bit by bit, I, I. Without realising I was doing it, I gathered the skills I needed to be a storyteller. And then one day, just over 25 years ago, I went to the first ever Beyond the Border Storytelling Festival. And I saw stuff that was good, stuff that was OK, stuff that was a bit dodgy. 
and on the on, for the finale night, the most amazing thing I'd ever seen in my entire life. And I'd been seeing loads of theater and it was the best performance I'd ever seen. And it, it was a guy called Abby Patricks, he's French. He has a completely different way of being on stage to, to UK storytellers. He doesn't want to be a friend. Everyone else was kind of going, I like you if you like me kind of transaction. And Abby just stood on the stage and said, well, this story is going to be very long, 45 minutes. If it's too long for you, maybe you go to the beer tent. The rest <laughs> of us will stay here. <laughs> oh, okay. But of course, because he did that, everyone stayed. And then he started to tell this amazing Norwegian wonder tale. And I thought, that was it. I mean, also at the time, I'd injured myself. So I, I saw this. The first thing, uh, when he finished, I thought, that's what I want to do. And the second thing I thought was, and I can do it sitting down. So it just, suddenly it was a very simple choice. And when, that, when life, when your vocation comes and gets you like that, it actually makes other decisions very simple. It's... You know, it's a it's a wonderful blessing when that happens. When when mm. when, when the way opens for you, the seas part, and it's obvious where you've got to go. It's wonderful <laughs> in that respect. Uh, and I suspect many many people don't get that. They don't get that 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 that, uh, that light bulb moment. How did it feel? Interesting. Just clear. It wasn't. It wasn't a kind of big road to Damascus. Oh my God! Feeling. It was just like, uh huh. That's the thing. Good. <laughs> I'll crack on now. So having now discovered that, you've got to learn the craft, I'm guessing. I am one of the world's biggest blaggers. And I think there's uh, the ambition, I think, for anyone who's doing anything new is to, to blag and then gradually decrease the amount of blagging involved until you get to about 10%. I think you need about 10% blag, to be honest. Um. And I was lucky enough to be asked relatively early on in my career to teach. And I taught in a place called the Bletherver Centre in Mid Wales. And I've been teaching there for over 20 years now. And every year we had a bunch of new storytellers uh, between 12 and 20, depending on how the course was booking up. And we had two major important professional storytellers teaching. So every year, I watched the best teach. Mm. And that was really interesting. Partly because of all the good things I learned and also to realize that those who do can't always teach, which was well, a big eye-opener for me. Oh, those that tell stories can't always teach. Those, those that are stories, mm. they can't teach it. It's a separate skill, I think. Certainly, I, So I learned a facilitative way of teaching Mm-hmm. by watching the mistakes of some people and the successes of others. And yeah. I think some, with something as em, embedded as storytelling, you can't teach by principle. You can only teach by practice. Mm. Well, uh, it's one of those, perform, all performance, I think, how can only be taught by actually doing it in some ways. Mm. Where did that lead you? Because, I mean, like, okay, deciding to be a storyteller and, like, you know, that, that's quite a journey. It's like, okay, so now, now what do you do? Now you know you want to be a storyteller. What happens next? Well, I had this great marketing strategy. Do you want to know what it was? Go on, then. Sit by the phone and wait for it to ring. Oh, do you great. Know what? That works really yeah. well, doesn't it? <laughs> it did work. I went to a few uh, events where I got my name out there and... 
at the time, schools understood the value. Schools had some money. Community arts centres existed still. They had the budget, so they would ring people up. Yes, and the, there was a community of storytellers here and we would pass the work around. If, if someone couldn't do something, they, they, they'd refer someone else and so on. Now that barely exists. Yes, because of course. We, though we, we had value in those things in those days. And nowadays, unless it's a profit maximisation, we don't have value in it. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it, it is. I think there's a cultural amnesia in in many in many aspects of, of our world, but particular in the art, particularly in the arts. So young people coming into the arts these days don't have a link with things that were happening 20 years ago, which isn't that long ago. Yeah. They don't know how it was done and they can't compare it with anything. And I have been through that and I'm seeing how they're coping. And I'm wondering, well, actually, I think there's some wisdom in the way we did things before and some practicality and there's something i don't know what we okay maybe i'm just being nostalgic but i felt we had an embeddedness and a lack of rush it I, felt that I there were resources we're also, available i think we're also two older men talking about how good it was in the past because <laughs> because the point about it is and you know and i agree with you because it was great in the past it always is great when you look back on these things uh, so not to this, not to diss it in any way. I mean, the issue now, of course, you've got is the internet came and balls up everything in a way. Yeah. Because once we gave everything away for free, storytelling and music and all sorts of bits and pieces is now a commodity. Yeah. I mean, there's, I, I'm particularly grateful to the technology that allows me to teach online because yes. I have been able to do courses and make an okay amount of money from working with people who want to learn what it is I do and that's yeah. great yeah and I'm also happy to put out little teaser bits of me telling stories just for people to have a look but I'm, I've also put out longer videos of longer stories which I can only do because I've been doing it for over 20 years and it's given away and there's a bit of me goes well hang on a minute someone somewhere should be paying for this and right now it's me <laughs> Because I'm paying for it with my expertise and, and all the rest. And I think maybe I'm just being a grumpy old git to some extent, but I'm just negotiating the change into this, this hyper-mediatized world that we are living in, having come out of a world that was more oral and face-to-face. -face. Mm. And actually just talking to you now, it's, uh, Paul, it's making me much more aware of how, how things have changed. Yes, I, 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 and, I, and I have these conversations regularly with different people, so I'm quite aware of the shift and the change. And, and I think it's got to go back. I, mean, it's, it's, it, I don't know where, how it will evolve. I don't know how it will evolve. Um, I, I'm wondering if... I'm wondering if something new will come out of it in, in, in the end, because already there's some, there are some musicians that are starting to pull their music off different platforms. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and there are a few music platforms around where you can join, where you you pay so much to download stuff I mean, it's a small band so you can join and, and like you you pay something like each time you listen to it you pay a little bit more until eventually it's yours oh i see I've got, it's yeah. quite a nice it's yeah. quite a clever model really but mm -hmm. i guess storytelling is a bit different because you only listen to a story once maybe it is 
I mean, the, one of the things that I'm doing, well, one of the things that happened to me after COVID was I did the courses, I learned how to teach online. And then I thought, aha, now is the time to do the thing that I've been dabbling with. So for the last 15 years, I've been invited to, to work with companies and organizations to do a storytelling element as part of a training. So I thought to myself, well, I've got to do more of that. And this is, this is the, the big new thing for me now. And it's also the, not only is it big, it's scary because it's, a, it's an area that I don't quite know. I don't quite understand. So I'm having to work out what the rules are. And um, so I've got, a, I've got a business coach and I'm, I'm following a program and things are beginning to happen. But it is the hardest learn I think I've ever had because the environment is significantly different to any environment I've been in before. And then, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was on a call earlier on with some people in a university and it was great to suddenly hear them say, all oh, right, great. What you're talking about is exactly what we need. And it's um, it's the, the challenge for me is to have gone from an arts environment where everyone gets what you do. Everyone knows what it is. And they either say yes or no, or maybe another time was in in a business environment. There's still some explaining to do. It's much more hit and miss. And then you find someone who gets you and a relationship can form. So this is, this is, I think, the challenge that I'm going through now and slowly getting better at. But it is a, it's a massive challenge. Okay, I'm going to come back to that. I, I love that yeah. part of it. I'm going to come back to it. I want to get back onto the tail of, of the journey. So, so at some sure. point, you, you, obviously you excelled in this environment where you could, where there was money around and you could get work. How did it, how did it evolve from there? Well, I think this is where the 10% blag comes in. So I was working effectively as a storyteller, doing loads of work in schools and solo shows in festivals and so on. But I knew I wanted to do something big. And along came the 10th anniversary of Beyond the Border, which is the biggest UK storytelling festival. And I thought, OK, this is our opportunity. I had worked with a friend of mine for many years uh, as a musician. She was She's an amazing musician. We have this kind of rapport where we don't really need to say much we just know what each other's thinking so it's fantastic so she stacy had another friend who's a singer called lynn and i knew lynn was a fantastic singer and they two had um a, a band together so my idea was well i'm going to work with those two and see what happens so we went to see the director and we pitched this massive story it's one of the biggest stories i've ever told and uh, it's called kilo and Owen, and it is ridiculously long so I said, right, we're going to do that because no one had done it. And he said, yes. So we made the show. We performed it a few times. We went on a little tour. We went to Ireland and we also went to Holland. And then it kind of settled down a bit. Then someone who became a, a good friend of mine, Naomi Wiles, she was running a, pro a production company, a storytelling production company, probably the only one in the world. And she said, do you want to do something with that show of yours? I said, yes. So she got in a team for us. She got in people to work with marketing and the dramaturgy, the direction, the technical side. And we made a show that toured on and off for eight years. And it moved us up to a completely different step. Where does and a storytelling process change to become a, become a theatrical production? Where does it become a play and not necessarily a story? Really good question. And the answer is if there's a script. But we never use script. Okay. 
I, I know the story. So I, in the story, the same things happen in the same order to the same people. If everything goes according to plan, that's what happens. In a script, the same words are spoken in the same order every time. Yeah. But I respond to the audience and I respond to the feeling in the room. So there are moments that might get opened out or moments that might get slimmed down in order to move on to the next thing. And the music, although it is kind of set, is still improvised. So Stacey's improvising away like crazy um, within the bounds of the, the melodies that she's using. So that's why these stories, this thing what you're talking about, is so energetic and so lively, because it is in the moment created. Exactly. And there's listening going on. Yeah. Everyone is tuning in. Yeah. And that's how you get a groove going. That's how you feel the momentum and you feel mm. the bigger consciousness in the room. Yeah. Because everyone's firing on all cylinders. So this is jazz. Than... This is jazz, isn't it? This, this is, is this, jazz. This, exactly. This is, this is exactly. Well, this is why it's so, so unique. And I bet people don't understand the difference or don't, don't realise what they're listening to. No, they don't. People see it. They enjoy it. They appreciate it. They go, oh, wow, that was different. But the, the view under the bonnet is very different. What is yeah. actually what what they what the audience gets and what is actually happening are two different things. So this toured for quite a few years, by the sounds of it. It was very successful. It was successful. We, we toured all over and then we did another production of another very complicated, weird Welsh mythological story, which toured. We went to Australia with it. Um, we went to Germany with it. We toured all over the UK and we deliberately made it more challenging for ourselves. And I think that's the other really key thing is gauging the stretch for your, for your new project. Mm. So I've just, I've just done a new project, which is completely different again, again, working with Stacey, but also with a dancer. So <laughs> I'm trying to tell the story. So I'm telling it direct to the audience. And then this dancer will just come and grab me and throw me around the room. <laughs> and I just have to cope. Okay. <laughs> and weirdly, it works. So are, are these are not, I guess you don't get the funding you used to do for these things. You're having to fund these yourselves. Oh, no, well, I've, I've been very fortunate. I did get funding for that last project. So one of, one of the things I have to do now is to be more strategic about the future of this work. I've got money to make the show, but I don't have money to tour the show. So, um, but then the Arts Council never gives you the whole lot. You've got to make up a percentage yourself mm -hmm. somehow or other. And that has been your life for how long you've been doing this? Uh, well, I've been making funding applications for over 20 years. And I, I meant the performing and the, you know, the storytelling. Yeah. 20 years. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And so in those 20 years, your, is your definition of success changed? I think it has. I think now I'm having to think much more about sustainability. Before I was thinking in terms of project to project, <clears throat> show to show, actually. So the, the first focus is the show, whether I'm working with a bunch of kids, uh, telling them a few stories and then doing some literacy work with them. It's does the end, does the day end well? Do people get what they want? Yes, job done. The same with the shows. Uh, okay, so there's the process of making the show, which is weeks or months, and then it's ready to go and it has its own life. And each time the focus is, can it be as good as it can be this time? Now we're moving into another more, strategic step 
where I've got to think, got to stretch my brain into something much, into a shape that's much, much bigger. And that's challenging. And I think that's probably going to mean I have some kind of team. I'm going to have to have a board to, to help me um, and be a proper company. Mm. Okay. Wow. So big, big change ahead for you. Yeah. And, and it's, it's um, intimidating actually, but mm. I mean, everything I've ever done that's been worth doing is also scared the crap out of me. So. <laughs> and what would you say is your contribution to the world and to yourself? I think, okay, to the world, it is taking these stories and making them feel real, mm. particularly the, the type of stories I'm talking about. So one details like you get in the Grimm's, there is a familiarity with that format. Even if you get it from Disney, you kind of get a feeling for what the stories are for. If you go back to the, the texts, it's a bit richer and a bit more ambiguous and more interesting. But basically, everyone knows what we're talking about. With this more mythological material, it's much more challenging because it asks you to think in a much more, in a much deeper way, in a much more complex way. So mm -hmm. the, the, the previous show we did, which was based on the fourth branch of the Mabinogi, which is a deeply weird bunch of stories. The, the theme that emerged from our initial workings together on the material was about the conscious world. So that it's not a tabula rasa that we human beings prance around on. It ha the, the world that we live in has intention and consciousness. And when I first uttered those words, I couldn't believe the words were coming out of my mouth. It just sounded so woo-woo. But when you look at the world of the story, that's exactly what it is. And then mm. um, in my research, I came across this medieval Welsh poem called The Song. Oh, the other great thing about the Mabinogi, there's no religion. It just doesn't, doesn't raise its ugly head at all, which means that you're much freer you don't have to kind of work your way around belief or, or anything like that. It, the world is the world and the world is enchanted and magical and strange, much stranger mm -hmm. than we could possibly imagine. Mm -hmm. And then I came across the song of the soul and the English translation is something like, um, so this, this is the, the soul singing about itself. I was gleaming fire before I came into the world. I was dust of the earth blown by the wind, mixing good and evil together. My blood, my nature stems from mountain flowers, from water of the ninth wave, from nettle flowers and mist. I weave myself into hearth and loom and forge. I am in, earth, I am in water, I am in fire, I am in mist, the world's breathing. The world is not of one form. My blessing was becoming part of the world. And I read this. I thought, what? This is written hundreds of years ago. It might even be much older than that. And here it is talking about things that people are talking about right now. About what the, is, the world what is being... fascinating about that piece of text you just read? Yeah. It's not too distant from some of the philosophy of the Buddha or from mm. ancient Chinese medicine or, or thought. Or even some of the Ved Vedic thought, and that's five thousand years old. Yeah, yeah. So, so a lot of these thoughts, like the the, the new age, new age religions, <laughs> new age thinking, is not actually that new age. 
Not at all. Not at all. And what I find amazing is that medieval text was written down at a time when the the culture within which it was written was a hundred percent Catholic. Gosh, that's still, heresy. That's her- that was heresy then, wasn't it? Absolutely heretical. Yeah, interesting. But Gosh. somehow people find ways of just kind of. <laughs> Well, you can't stop it, can you? You can't. People, people's no. thoughts are people's thoughts. As that's the, that's the, yeah. you know, the thought police cannot get inside our heads. They think they can, but they can't. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you contribute to yourself, Michael? Okay, yeah, I'm <laughs> probably less good at this. Um, I think... What I do is I, my contri- contribution to myself is putting myself in interesting situations where I can learn more interesting stuff mm-hmm. and take the next step in a way that is, where the stretch is, is adequately nuanced and curated. So I'm not falling off a cliff mm-hmm. and I'm not doing the same old stuff I've been doing for ages, but there's this stretch and I think there's... Um, The other thing I've learned is that storytelling is a very lonely occupation. Even though you're in front of a bunch of people, your practice is done on its own. So I have to practice my stories pretty much on my own. So one of the things I I really feed myself with is the creativity of other people. And had I not met key creatives in my career as as someone who, who tells stories and performs, I don't think I would be anywhere near the the level I am right now. What does that mean, a key creative? How do you know you're in the presence of a creative? When you get this big gut, yes, that's it. So Mm -hmm. there's there's an English theatre director called John Wright. He established a a company called Trestle Theatre, one of the first really serious mask-based companies um, in the UK. And he does his very playful. Because the other thing about John is that he works very playfully. Nothing is serious. You're not allowed to take anything seriously. It's all play. And play is the key. Play is the thing that opens the depth and creativity. Whereas if you demonstrate your depth and importance, you just come over as a, well, you know. Um, but if you can, it's, it's oh yeah, his, he has this brilliant way of looking at it. Creativity, he says, right. You are never more interesting than when you're in the shit. Mm. Because then you have to call on all these resources you didn't know you have. So in his workshops, he finds playful and creative ways to drop you in the shit and then watches you cope. Or not cope. And not coping is as interesting as coping. In fact, maybe Mm. more interesting. So... I recognise one thing I never asked you right at the very beginning because I, uh, I recognize we've gone the story, but I never where clearly creativity. It, what, what is your passion? I never asked you what is the trigger for you that really makes you know this. What is it for you? Because you know you recognise the policeman wasn't the place to go, and you know you <laughs> obviously went all these years finding a route, and then suddenly you found this route. So what was the passion in it for you? really interesting because you clearly are passionate you're talking about putting yourself on the line or something but i mean what's that about because it'll be a value it'll be something about your makeup that that makes you 
that's the one. That's why I do this. I think there's this, um, when it works, when storytelling works, there's a feeling of being gathered. That's the only way I can put it. Mm. And something happens to time. Mm. It kind of slows down or stops or something. And there's this moment of, yeah, I'm the person up on the stage, but there's a feeling of gathering so that we're all in it together. We're all making it together. We go into the world. We negotiate the world of the story. And then we come out. And when we come out, we're different. Gosh, both as teller and listener. I, I recognise that. That's the thing that we've lost, isn't it? That's that's mm. the thing about that's that's the people gathered around the fire listening to stories yep. and, and, and telling the old stories and that sort of stuff. It's it's those times that are so lost in a way. And and I, you know, I think po- podcasts are a really interesting return to that because it is a conversation and it's kind of long form. Mm. If you compare it to TikTok, it's very long form. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, there's yeah. something about the way that a lot of contemporary social media is, is presented, where it's a lot, it's a lot of push. There's a lot of push going on all the time and there's no, there's no to and fro. <clears throat> Whereas in, particularly in a live event, there's this feeling of uh, being in the same place together and various experiments have been done to do with this thing called entrainment, which I'm sure you know about. Um, so, for example, if you have a whole load of um, clocks in the same uh, proper clocks, wind up clocks in the same room, they will start to the pendulums will start to swing in the same at exactly the same time. There's some really nice YouTube videos of a bunch of pendulums. Um, no, not pendulums, sort of those things that keep time and music. Um, mm. Metronomes. Um, but they have to be on the same surface, don't they? They have to be on the same surface, yeah. Um, and it's that, because this what, sorry, what I'm, what I'm kind of groping towards is when you get a bunch of people in the same room, listening together, gathered, the heart, our heartbeat in trains, which is really fascinating, that there is this, We've got our heads and what we think the world is, but there's a whole other layer of communication happening at the same time. So for I don't know, have you ever heard of the Heart Math Institute? I have actually, yeah. So I, I witnessed an experiment with them and uh-huh. it was quite amazing. Where no, so the Heart Math Institute does this thing about measuring the heart and the brain and measuring resonance between the two and whether they can go into uh-huh. resonance. And they took a, a subject and they put her on the stage and uh, she was randomly pulled out of the audience, you know, who had come out. So she sat down and then they, they wired her up. So that she literally had a headset on and some kind of electrode here and something measuring her heart as well. Very simple electrodes. And they did a, a, this thing where they asked her a number of questions and you could, and they were, you could see the trace on the, of her heart and her, and her brain wave that they were measuring. And then they asked us to start talking about her family or someone she loved. And you could see the two things came into perfect resonance. Wow. And then they took her out of the room and they asked us in the room that when she comes back in, we're going to ask her a series of questions. And whatever she says, we want you to think the opposite. Think the opposite, not do the opposite, just think the opposite brought her back in the room, set her back up again. Right, okay, now we're going to do this experiment again and show you. 
so anyway they uh, they they got her back into resonance with her with her with her like thinking about her family and then they started asking, what, what's your name just going to answer her. so she answered her name and we were all going no it's not and you could see as we were as she was doing this it went completely out of resonance because the whole room was not working with her Oh, that's amazing. It was the most shocking experiment I've ever seen about how negative energy can affect someone. Anyway, there we are. <laughs> I think I think you put your finger on something really important using the word resonance. Mm. And that's what's happening in whether it's a storytelling performance or whether it's uh a pitch or whether it's a presentation to a bunch of people, it's still a performance and there's still resonance. Whereas facts will talk to, you just talked about the fact that they were wired up brain and heart. Whereas I think in a presentation, that's what's happening is that you're talking to both bits of the person. Mm. And the trick in presentations is to be able to, to know which bit you're talking with and to. Mm. So if you try and and if if you use if you use logic to to grab someone emotionally, it won't work. You have I mean, to resonate with the heart with that with that heart frequency, and people will hopefully, if they're into it, resonate with it, and you'll get a yes from them. I mean, I, I'm I'm a recovering digital marketer, so so so, but <laughs> I I can clearly tell you that you know story is the big thing in every business nowadays so is it the, mm. the telling stories about a business is is where it's at and and connecting with your customers through the story mm-hmm. that's where it's at uh, and even big companies are looking to do the same uh, it's all about giving you that i mean when, when, i mean the banks are great at that on tv because you can see their little stories they do with you know families and stuff. they're trying to show yeah. this that's marketing 101 really but but you know the bigger thing is about the the true stories the real Mm. real stories that's what makes a difference what i'm interested in here though is that i use a story as the reason for living i use this kind of idea the 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 hero's journey now Mm -hmm. is that the only story or are there others there are many 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 others um the hero's journey I have, I have such mixed feelings about it because it feels, it, it just feels a little bit overused to me sometimes and um, very, very male, even though you could, you could have a female hero's journey, but there's, I think there are many more formats available. And one of my frustrations with the hero's journey is that a bit of me wants to not like it, but I just have to admit it works. Well, the reason I, I resonate with it is because I think on some level that's the story of our life. Our, you know, mm. our life is a journey from cradle to grave. And how mm-hmm. we choose to fill that journey is entirely up to us. Mm-hmm. So to me, it's like it's, you know, it's our hero's journey. It's our journey. <laughs> and how now we can choose to be, you know, we can choose to do it quietly or we can choose to do it big. And that's what this podcast is based on. What's, the st- what's yeah. each person's journey and story? So, Paul, I mean, without wanting you to give too much away, I mean, how, how, how does the hero's journey resonate with you? 
Well, that's the journey. That's the issue because I I recognise I'm at a, I'm happy to give stuff away. I, I I've been at a turning point for the last last five years, and that's why this podcast was started. Because in in 2017, when my father died, I, I sat back and thought, you know, like oh, you know, I was just thinking about his life and some of the highs and lows and some of the the fact that he had not really engaged with life. And I could see some similarities in myself and some of the some of the patterns that I had picked up from him. And one thing I was really conscious of at that point is that I didn't care if I lived or died. Oh. And once I got back to that point, I thought, shit, I've got this out about this. I've got 30 years ahead of me. What am I going to do for the next 30 years if I don't give a shit? So that's why I started reaching out to people and asking the question, what's it for? Why are we okay. doing this life? Wow. And this is where I am now. I am more motivated than I've ever been. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying listening to people's stories. And hey, hey, this is my job. I sit here talking to people like you. <laughs> Great. Bingo. <laughs> yeah. But that was why it was interesting. So, so all right, enough about me what, and story. What, what, what other stories do you think could be, could be a map of someone's life if, that was, if, that was, uh, if my analogy works? I put really you on the spot. Sorry about that. You have, you have. That's fine. Um, <laughs> there are. I mean, the, the stories that I have worked on the most and have worked with most deeply are the stories of the Mabinogion. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. No, I haven't heard stories. of it. You're the first person I've ever heard. That's the first time okay. I've ever heard the word. So there are. The first complicated thing is the title. Some people call it the Mabinogion, which includes an, about 13 stories. And there's also the four branches of the Mabinogi, uh, which are ancestral ancient stories without, although they were written down in the Middle Ages, they're not medieval because there's no religion in them at all. Mm. But within, I, I mean, I think, and various of my friends also think that these are problem stories and teaching stories. So, for example, there's a character in the fourth branch called Gwydion. Gwydion is famous because he's a magician and a storyteller, and he went down to the other world. So the other world is very important in Welsh mythology, and it's basically the world alongside or inside or under our world, and it's strange, beautiful, and a source of wealth and power. So Gwydion, he turns trees into an army, and he goes down to the other world and he defeats the other world and he brings all these amazing treasures back, cauldrons and weapons and gold and all sorts of things. So he is a, a culture hero. Also, mm. he's the Milky Way. Caer Gwydion, Gwydion's fort is the Milky Way. So he's an astral kind of, not God, but being. Now, what happens is that he and his brother are nephews to the king. His, Gwydion's brother, fancies the king's footholder. So Gwydion says, don't worry, I will make sure you have your wicked way. And he does this most amazing thing, which is to go all the way down to South Wales and using magic, he, he fools and shames the king of South Wales, steals his pigs and goes up north. When the king of South Wales finds out, he is duty bound to have a war to fight the people of North Wales. So there's a big battle. And as the battle is raging, so 
Gwydion and Gilvaithwy, his brother, go back to the castle, which is empty, apart from the royal footholder, and she's raped. And you think, oh my God! I mean, the, the kind of... The intelligence, the magic, and the, and the brutality of it is absolutely mind-bending. But the logic of it can't be faulted. And it's something about this mismatch of power and responsibility that's been mm. taught about. Later on, they are punished in the most excruciating way imaginable. But, well, that's good. Um, at least, at least I didn't get <laughs> didn't get away with their ill-gotten gains. Oh dear me! And then later, later on, uh, Gwydion, the magician, he <clears> kind of his he has a very peculiar relationship with his sister. He kind of gets his sister to give birth to this blob who he then takes into his own uh, house and puts in his own little chest and incubates. He looks after him. Then he goes, when, the, when this child grows up very quickly, and then he takes the child to see his mother and his mother curses him. And eventually the curses are overcome. There are three different curses. And he grows into a young man and his name is Clay. So his, his name is cognate with light and the sun. So he's a sun god. And he ends up being killed. And then Gwydion, the magician, has to go on this long uh, search for him. And he finds him. And there's this stunning image of an oak tree. At the bottom of the oak tree, there is a sow eating rotten meat full of maggots. Gwydion arrives, sees this, and thinks, where's this meat coming from? And he looks up. At the top of the tree, there is an eagle with a, a blade in its side. And the blade was thrown by the man who was trying to kill Clay when he was in human form. So this is Clay, the sun god, still in eagle form, but with this rusted blade in his side. And every time he moves because of the pain, lumps of his flesh fall down to the earth, rotten flesh. And that's what the pig is eating. So you have this amazing image, oak tree, pig, rotten meat, maggots at the top, a stricken eagle at the top. And then Gwydion, who has been completely unconscious and powerful and magical and done immense harm to himself and other people, sings. And he sings the eagle down and cures him. Which just feels to me like a beautiful, difficult, complicated, but resonant image that for me brings things together in a way that's satisfying it doesn't make everything okay but it's somehow a moving forward into a place where life is once again possible i have to say it's not a story i understand and i would need to actually hear it several times to actually try and get my head around it the logic is not see this is this is why it's so different to the hero's journey and this is this is probably why it's not so popular <laughs> sorry <laughs> You have to hear the whole thing together. It's probably I mean, why can... Hollywood hasn't taken it up. <laughs> Thank God, I'm really pleased. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably am too because we do need some we do need some bastions that I haven't touched. But there we go. <laughs> it is deeply strange, uh, and the other thing is that it's it's um, intimately connected with landscape. Yes, yeah, so there are it's many very much places connected this... with Wales, isn't it? It's very much about Wales. Yeah. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You certainly live in a rich in a rich place for your stories. That's for sure. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I've, I'm, I feel like I've landed on my feet here in terms mm. of stories. Yes, absolutely. 
So what is it that you do and how do you want to do more of it and what are you looking for? That's such a good question, Paul. I mean, I've had a massive shift. So when COVID happened, my diary was just wiped. Hmm. So then I did a course with a company called Miracy uh, in order to be able to do training online. Mm -hmm. And it worked. So uh, and I I still run courses online and that's all good. that, That functions. And then I was invited onto an entrepreneurial course that they run called ACES, which I'm doing now. And what, what is in front of me, and I, what I'm noticing is I think that the world of business and entrepreneurship has changed. I am feeling a definite shift. So that, yes, there are people out there whose number one priority is money, 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 make as much as you can. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. But I have, I don't know if you agree with me here, Paul, but there's a, what feels like a groundswell of opinion of things have to change. We ha- it cannot be business as usual. We need to sort out what we do and how we do it. I mean, my take on this is absolutely we need to change. There needs to be a shift. I've, I've thought that for a long time. Um, I really thought COVID was the answer, probably. I don't know. Uh, it was certainly a full stop and let's think about this, mm-hmm. which I think everyone mm-hmm. has had some time to think about it. That's for certainly for sure. And I also think one of the reasons I'm quite I'm, I'm really fascinated by, by you and what you're doing at the moment is because I think we need a new narrative. I think we don't have enough narratives to move into. You know, I think the stories of the older are, are, are wonderful, but I think we've got to learn to write the stories of the future where we yeah. actually want to go. Because at the moment, the only stories that I see in front of me are either dystopian or destructive. I don't see any, any yes. future. I don't see any stories coming out of anywhere where, you know, where, where I live in a, an, an eco-friendly home and I do a job which is eco-friendly and I'm growing, you know, and, and, and I go and tend the seaweed farms. You know, it's like, you know, there's nothing covering the things that we need to possibly be doing to rebuild and recreate this world. No, I think you're absolutely right. I think that we have come to the end. We have come, our myth of progress came to a shuddering halt. Mm. And although COVID was awful, it is. It has amplified that, and it's made it much more present. If it wasn't COVID, it would have been something else. I mean, you exactly. Know, so, so, and we had they had. You know, I think that, I think in some ways that was the simplest blessing it could have been because it was relatively benign. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe we just want to think about the um, what come. You know, it, the word progress and the 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 prefix. Maybe we need a new prefix. It's not progress. What is it? Is it digress? <laughs> I don't know. No, I don't know either. But that's that's the journey we have. So, so look, I mean, you mentioned you do courses on storytelling. Is, it, is that what you do? You said? Yes. So I, I run courses for storytellers, <clears throat> people who are specifically wanting to hone their storytelling skills as storytellers, as artists. I also run courses for people who are interested in the mythological juice and power of the stories without actually having to go to the effort of learning the stories and telling them. So a way into the stories, kind of as an active audience and as uh, in a creative way. And I also help people who have something to say in a presentation or, or a pitch or talking to your board or whatever it is to, to do that in a way that's authentic and compelling and gets some kind of result. 
So how would people get in touch with you if they want to? Well, they can contact me on, or they can email me, michael at michaelharvey.org, or just find me on LinkedIn. There are lots of Michael Harveys, but if you go Michael Harvey Storyteller, you'll probably find me more. And quickly. do you have a website at all with any of this material? Yes, I do. You, If you just put stories that work, mm-hmm. all one word, into a search engine, you'll find me. So we'll have all those links on the podcast app and right. at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. Uh, do reach out to Michael because I think it will be a, a revelation because I've having, had a wonderful time today. Wonderful time. Thank you so much. It's been really enjoyable talking to you about this. So my final question that I ask all of my guests, and, and this does touch on the potential of the religion or no religion because it's mm. this is kind of where it comes from. What's the meaning of life? What does it all mean to you? Yeah, I'm glad you asked me that at the end of the show. Um, (laughs) It's such a good question, and it's a question we should all have an answer to. And you don't need to have one, Michael, because I think think that's the point. You could just turn around and say, I've not a clue, because I don't know. Just as valid as it's this, because it's your your answer. I I just, the, the thing that's stumping me, Paul, is the word meaning. If it was something else, like what is the dance of life? It's a bit metaphorical, but it's... Um, how, about well, you in answer, the song, how about you answer it in the way that works for you? Well, what's going through my head now is the song, it ain't what you do, it's the way that you do it. Hmm. So for me, the, the meaning comes from my interaction with the world. So it's how I interact with the world. So it's a little bit like John Wright's thing of being in the shit. I, I want, for me, the, my life is meaningful if I'm engaging in a way, because I, I think there's, there's, there's my head and there's the rest of me. And I know for a fact that my head is great and I'm very, I do appreciate my head and it's, I'm very glad I've got one. But actually, I know that all the big, important, life-changing, deep decisions I've made have come from somewhere else. And the, the, the way I've described it to myself is that there are moments when you access the wider, wiser version of yourself that knows what to do in certain situations. Mm-hmm. So for me, the meaning, meaning of life is finding the moments when rather than scrabbling after things, which I do find myself doing, is when I can just slow down, open out to this wider, wiser version of myself that knows what to do and do that. Sounds perfect to me. Michael Harvey, thank you so much for your time this this morning. It's been wonderful to talk to you and an absolute joy to explore the world of story. My pleasure, Paul. It's been great chatting to you. All the best. And that was Life, Passion and Business with Paul Harvey and my guest, Michael Harvey. You can find him on all the usual social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram and YouTube. As you heard in the interview, he supports people to develop their storytelling ability. And you can find out more details at his website, storiesatwork.card.co. And that's an unusual, that's an unusual domain because it's a Welsh domain. That's C-A-R-R-D dot co. All of those links will be available at the website lifepassionandbusiness.com. And while you're there, do check out the shortcasts where I've been exploring how narrative will support you on your life journey. So that's it for me for this week. And as I say every week, if you've enjoyed this podcast, you know, if you enjoy any podcast with any creator, please 
support those creators, share that information with someone else, write a comment, do something. Because when you share and support this ecosystem, people like yourself get to find good podcasts. And that is it from me for this week. As always, thank you so much for being on the journey with me. Thank you for your time and attention. I'll catch you next time. All the best.